President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday received a delegation from the U.S.-based Center for Strategic and International Studies. Tsai took the opportunity to thank the Biden administration's continued support for Taiwan while calling for cooperation with the U.S. on supply chain resilience. One member of the delegation offered words of praise for Taiwan, saying it remained brave and resilient in the face of various challenges. President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday received a delegation from Washington-based think tank, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Tsai took the opportunity to express Taiwan's position on regional security. Peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific is critical to maintaining the international order. Taiwan is on the very front line in the defense of democracy. For many years, we have resolutely safeguarded peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. We have continuously striven to strengthen cooperation with democratic allies, sharing experience and working together to protect our way of life and shared values. I know I speak for all of us in our delegation and our admiration for the people here's courage and resilience in tackling the many daunting challenges that you have been facing over recent years and continue to face. Dean of John Hopkins University's School of Advanced International Studies, James Steinberg, praised Taiwan's resilience and courage. The delegation, which Steinberg came with, included many former U.S. government officials who said they hoped to better understand the challenges faced by Taiwan. They expressed the hope of strengthening U.S.-Taiwan bilateral cooperation. Meanwhile, Tsai took the chance to convey to the delegation her appreciation for the U.S.'s ongoing support of Taiwan. We want to thank the administration of U.S. President Joe Biden, who recently approved the seventh arms package for Taiwan since he took office. The U.S. continues to take concrete steps to strengthen Taiwan's self-defense capabilities and to ensure Taiwan's security. Aside from defense exchanges, we also look forward to applying the U.S.-Taiwan Initiative on 21st Century Trade and other frameworks to deepen cooperation with the U.S. in all areas. We will create more mutually beneficial trade exchanges and build safe and resilient supply chains together. In the first visit by a delegation from CSIS to Taiwan since the pandemic started, Tsai spoke about deepening trade ties and cooperating on defense. The delegation also demonstrates ongoing close ties between Taiwan and the U.S. Earlier this year, Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun made headlines after saying that Taiwan was developing a new kind of missile with a range that could reach Beijing. Since then, the so-called Greenfeng missile has been enshrouded in much speculation and secrecy. Now, a former head of the National Zhongshan Institute of Science and Technology says that the missiles are indeed in the works. The person is Gong Jiazhen, a retired Navy vice admiral who headed the institute between 2004 and 2007. In an interview, he confirmed that the missile can travel at supersonic speeds and is hard to intercept. He added that it has a range of 1,000 kilometers far enough to reach Beijing. Former Minister of Culture Zhen Lijun on Wednesday registered Vice President Lai Qingde's candidacy in the by-election for DPP chair. Zheng headed in the documents and the registration fee on behalf of Lai, who is currently following self-health monitoring rules after contracting COVID earlier this month. She said that if elected party chair, Lai will try to stabilize the political situation, win back the people's trust, recruit more talent, and work to protect Taiwan. 
former Minister of Culture Deng Lijun on Wednesday took documents and 1.5 million NT to the DPP headquarters to register Vice President Lai Qingde's candidacy in the upcoming by-election for party chair. He's willing to take this step and take on this huge responsibility. I support him and thank him for that. So when he asked me to register him, of course I accepted. Lai is currently under self-health monitoring rules after testing positive for COVID earlier this month. The former culture minister conveyed Lai's four goals to lead the DPP. They are stabilizing the current political situation, conducting reviews to regain the trust of the public, recruiting more talent, and protecting Taiwan. Reporters asked her whether helping Lai register was a sign that she would be his deputy if he were to run in the 2024 presidential election. You are thinking too far ahead. I personally am not planning to run for election. Meanwhile, Taoyuan Mayor Zhang Wenchan, who is reportedly likely to be appointed premier in January, says he looks forward to Lai leading the DPP. He doesn't just have my blessing, he also has my support. The 2024 presidential election will determine whether the DPP will continue leading the country. It is a crucial election. With the by-election for party chair, we can get a new leader that sets a new formation for the party. The Taoyuan Mayor says he looks forward to the future of the DPP. For Lai, it will be a true test to win back the public's support and stage a comeback for the DPP after its defeat in the local elections. An interdisciplinary team of Taiwanese scientists has found a new marker that could be used to diagnose and treat arthrosclerosis. The condition is caused by buildup of fats on the walls of arteries, which increases the risk of cardiovascular disease. The breakthrough could be key to developing procedures to diagnose the condition, which is largely asymptomatic and has been referred to as a silent killer. The team's findings have been published in the prestigious European Heart Journal. Let's hear from the team's leader. For our discovery, we grouped people with coronary artery disease in several groups, and we found a novel vinculin with varying levels of flow-induced phosphorylation at serene 721. The higher the level, the higher the severity of the patient. Arteriosclerosis is a chronic disease. Previously, there was no clear way to diagnose the condition early, but these findings allow for the development of new diagnostic methods in the future. Currently, arthrosclerosis is diagnosed mostly via angiography and ultrasound scans to check whether arteries have become narrower. Blood tests alone are not enough to determine whether the condition is present in patients. The head of the research team says he hopes the findings can be used to develop ways to detect the disease via a simple blood serum test. The cold winter weather is already here, and for some, that might mean the onset of a serious condition they are unaware of. One doctor is advising those who feel coldness and pain in their limbs to seek immediate medical attention as the condition may be a sign of narrowed or restricted arteries. If you're heading outdoors, remember to dress warm, and if you feel numbness or pain from the cold, check with the doctor as soon as possible. Older adults enjoy exercising in the park, but may experience coldness in the limbs when doing so in the winter. Doctors warn that the feeling of cold feet may be an indication of a serious problem, such as deep vein thrombosis, and that if you are unsure, you should consult with a physician. My ankle was swollen. It swelled by about 2 to 3 centimeters. I thought, oh, this must be some type of bone problem. Who would have thought that it was due to thrombosis? 
At first, there was nothing wrong with me, but then there was such unbearable pain that I rushed to the emergency room. They ran tests and found that it was thrombosis. Taichung residents Mr. Guo, 80, and Ms. Zhang, 72, both have histories of high blood pressure. Recently, they both experienced coldness and pain in their legs, but had no idea it was a serious medical condition known as peripheral arterial occlusive disease, which is a blockage or narrowing of an artery in the legs. If there's sudden coldness and pain in the lower limbs, the face has become pale or purplish, regular activity is affected and there is no strong pulse, medical attention should be sought immediately. The doctor said that the condition mainly affects people 45 and older, and that those with histories of atrial fibrillation should pay particularly close attention to warning signs. Some patients with atrial fibrillation are prescribed anticoagulants, but they may not always take the medication, which is often the cause of blood clots. With cold weather setting in for the season, doctors advise those experience coldness and pain in their limbs to check with the doctor, especially for those with a history of heart conditions. Sports stacking, also known as cup stacking, is a team and individual sport that involves players stacking 9 or 12 cups as quickly as possible. The World Sports Stacking Association in Taiwan was launched in 2010 to help prom promote the sport in Taiwan. And since then, Taiwan has trained several world record holders. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang spoke to three of Taiwan's elite stackers to find out what it takes to be a champion. This is Yan Chen Yeo, the world record holder for the men's 13 to 14 year old 333 event. He started sports stacking in kindergarten. He practices every day for at least two to three hours. Though tiring, he says he loves the challenge. When I was in kindergarten, I saw videos of stacking on the internet. I saw that everyone was fast, so I wanted to be like them. Since then, I have practiced every day. I practice for two to three hours a day non-stop. It is tedious to have to correct mistakes all the time, but it is helpful when competing. This is Chen Boryu, the world record holder for the women's 15 to 16 year old cycle event. She picked up sports stacking in third grade after hearing about it at a club at school. She practices at least an hour a day. I started sports stacking in third grade after learning about it at a club. I started practicing and got a sense of accomplishment during the practice process. That is what makes me continue playing the sport. When I'm not so busy with schoolwork, I practice for at least one hour a day. During practice and competitions, you can constantly improve yourself, your speed or your psychological growth. The World Sports Stacking Association Taiwan was launched in 2010 to help promote the sport in Taiwan. Since then, they have successfully incorporated sports stacking at local schools and held numerous tournaments around Taiwan. To be able to hold regular physical competitions here is very good for the players. Because we have been promoting the sport for many years, we have some sports stacking courses in schools and we also regularly hold training camps every month. We also participate in international competitions every year and hold competitions in Taiwan on a regular basis. On average, we organize more than 20 games a year in Taiwan. 
According to the WSSA, the international governing body for sport stacking, the sport is now in over 47,000 schools and club programs in 54 countries nationwide. So the World Sports Stacking Association, the WSSA, um, our goal is simple. We want to get kids doing sport, and especially kids who don't necessarily do conventional sports. Um, the fastest stackers in the world are kids who don't do other sports necessarily, but this is their thing, and it resonates with them, and they are just awesome and fantastic. And We're a super inclusive sport. Uh, boys and girls compete equally. Um, and kids from all over the world, doesn't matter what country you're from, uh, we're doing it everywhere. Taiwan hopes to continue to promote the sport and train more outstanding athletes to shine on the international stage. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Lu Bozong in Taipei. Since 2021, the Department of Industrial Technology at the Ministry of Economic Affairs has been trying to get small and, inter small and enterprises in Taiwan to adopt small manufacturing methods. On Tuesday, the ministry held a forum to share its progress on the matter. Officials announced that a French software company has teamed up with them to offer design programs to SMEs. The project is set to get even more international as Zhonghua Telecom plans to bring its 5G technologies to countries like Thailand and Vietnam. This platform offers software used in machinery and manufacturing processes. Companies load the designs on it and through a standardized framework, firms in the machinery industry can take advantage of it at any part of the production process. For example, put on the helmet powered by augmented reality to remotely monitor progress on the production line. The Ministry of Economic Affairs' Department of Industrial Technology has created this, the Intelligent Cloud for Machinery. The platform was developed by the Industrial Technology Research Institute. Now, a memorandum of cooperation has been signed with French software giant Dassault System in an event presided over by Vice Premier Shen Rongjin. We're providing the most advanced 3D design software so that domestic companies will have better 3D design capabilities and be better connected with the world. This allows small and medium enterprises to use the specialized software at a lower cost. And it's not just about cooperating with major international companies. Zhonghua Telecom has also joined the project to bring 5G tech to build a cross-country service platform in Southeast Asia. The move is hoped to allow small and medium enterprises to be better integrated in the region and to take on business opportunities brought about by the government's new southbound policy. IT connects our machinery industry with the rest of the world. More importantly, when the intelligent cloud for machinery is adopted by firms in Southeast Asia, we get a lot of technical knowledge on manufacturing. The platform has 1,500 members and about 70 companies. Estimates expect the smart manufacturing output of the Asia-Pacific region to reach 100 billion U.S. dollars in 2025. Ahead of that, the Ministry of Economic Affairs is launching plans, commissioning ETRI to sign memorandums of understanding with other entities. It's harnessing digital technologies so that small and medium enterprises can adopt smart production methods and bring about transformation in the industry. The head of TSMC Charity Foundation, Sophie Chang, on Wednesday took part in a press conference to share the foundation's achievements. She also took the opportunity to share stories on the time she worked for the campaign office of U.S. President Joe Biden when he first ran for the U.S. Senate in 1973. 
Let's hear what she said. Before he was famous, I helped in his campaign team. So as you can see, I liked helping others when I was young, and it's something that I've been doing to this day. That is part of my personality. I hadn't thought that one day he'd be the president. I'm sure he remembers because he held my hand and we shook hands. Cheng says she's known Biden for 49 years. Now her husband's company is expanding in the U.S., perhaps in part thanks to her influence. That was especially noticeable at a recent ceremony for the company's new fab in the state of Arizona, which was attended by the U.S. president himself. Sarah Brightman is the world's best-selling soprano, having sold more than 30 million albums worldwide over the course of her 40-year career. Brightman has accomplished it all as a performer, but is nothing is there anything else on her bucket list. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang sat down with Brightman for an exclusive interview to find out what expires her and what other dreams she has for her career and personal life. Sarah Brightman, the world's biggest selling soprano. She rose to fame by playing Christine Daae in the musical The Phantom of the Opera and singing Time to Say Goodbye with Andrea Bocelli. Over the course of her 40 year career, Brightman has sold more than 30 million albums worldwide and won awards in over 40 countries. Sitting right next to me is Sarah Brightman. Over the course of her career, she's won music awards in over 40 countries. Welcome to Taiwan, Sarah. Thank you. I'm very excited to be back here, actually. After five years, she's back in Taiwan for four Christmas-themed concerts in Kaohsiung, Taichung, Taipei, and Pingdong. It's a show that is, is full of pieces of music, Christmas music that everybody knows all over the world. Um, it's also got some of my, my hits, which obviously my sort of pure fans want, want to hear, but we've given them a, a Christmas twist and uh, a lot of uh, beautiful costumes, beautiful choir, beautiful um, orchestra and amazing lighting. And it's just a very heartwarming, emotional show. I have been coming to Taiwan really since the mid nineties. and. Uh, I remember first coming here um, because the Taiwanese, you know, people here that got to know my music, they were really enjoying a, an album I did all those years back called Dive. And uh, it was it was a new experience for me and uh, it was an incredible experience because I love the city, I love the food. I was first taken out to an amazing dumpling house and uh, so that was my first experience there. And everybody was so friendly and there was a lovely feeling of, of freedom here which I loved. Um, and uh, a lot of people were speaking English so I felt very, very um, happy in this country, in this beautiful island. the world's biggest selling soprano. She started her career when she was just 11 years old. She pioneered the classical crossover music movement and is famous for having a vocal range of over three octaves. She's also the only artist to have topped both the classical music charts and the billboard dance charts. She says that traveling has inspired her music and still inspires her today. I've always had, uh, my taste in music has always been quite eclectic um, and I think that's probably why, although I, I, I trained as a classical singer, 
I didn't feel that the opera house would necessarily be the right place for me. So I started to experiment with music and, and I think through that experimentation and working in all the genres that I had trained in, um, they fused together. So I created a fusion really of classical pop. I think the world has inspired me. I've been a great traveller through my life, even from being very young. As soon as I was able to afford a train ticket, an aeroplane ticket, I was on those to go and witness and try and understand the world and at a deeper level. Sarah has another lifelong dream, which is singing in space. After months of training for 16 hours a day at Star City near Moscow, she planned to sing from the International Space Station in 2015. However, she later canceled the trip due to personal reasons. She said that although she didn't go, she learned many valuable lessons through training and that it allowed her to step out of her comfort zone. She hopes to inspire others to pursue their own dreams. Use space more though for the, for the protection of our planet. Um, I think that the more we can do out there just to protect here is the most important thing about space. The training is hard, especially if you've, you know, um, you, you do it in the Russian way, which I did. I went to Russia and to, to, to Star City and I trained there. Um, and it was tough because I was doing a lot of it in another language. And um, you exceed anything that you could ever believe that, that you can do. Um, and that's what was so good about it. I learned a huge about, an amount about actually what my strengths were and how strong I could be as a human being. And I think if everybody could have this kind of training, it would be a great one because it, it, then they stop feeling fearful of anything. Brightman says her future goals consist of composing more songs and continuing to delight her fans from all around the world. Hello, everybody. Well, actually, I'm going to say share share to you. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Lu Bo Tong in Taipei.